that's their plan. I hope that's true. Okay. <clears throat> so welcome to our uh, fifth mini retreat, fifth Sunday together. It's great to see you all this morning and this afternoon. So settling into your seat, <clears throat> we'll begin with, uh, I'm, I'm upping at five minutes. I hope that's okay with you all. Uh, we'll be sitting for 45 minutes instead of 40 minutes. I think we actually bordered on 45 minutes last week as well. So settling in, and I'm going to offer some a uh, little bit of introduction for today's a practice and exploration. I'll wait till it looks like everybody's pretty settled in. Wait another minute or two. Oh, Yenkwe, you're here too. Good. Glad to see. See your name and breathe you are home <laughs> instead of your photograph. That's nice. Glad you're here. Okay, settled in. It looks like everybody's pretty settled in. So this fifth Sunday mini retreat, and today we'll be exploring the fourth factor of awakening, the fourth factor of enlightenment, joy. That made a few of you smile. How do you like that? It's already starting. <laughs> Good. Uh -huh. There's a huge misunderstanding by some people probably none of you, of course, but that Buddhism is all about suffering. Well, there's a good deal of exploration of suffering, that's for sure. But joy is a big, uh, important and essential aspect of our practice. So today we're going to explore joy. <clears throat> the fourth Enlightenment factor. <clears throat> I may have to clear my throat a few times during their day together today. So as we begin to see and to know how it is more clearly and more often through our mindfulness and investigation, our interest in seeing and knowing sustains and inspires the effort that's needed for our practice. And the energy begins to open up. The energy begins to open up, to increase and to flow more freely. As this occurs, we begin to feel a kind of delight, gladness, joy. Sometimes it's called rapture, the PT word, 
P-I-T-E, excuse me, the Pali word is P-T-P-I-T-I. And that's sometimes translated as rapture. This fourth factor of awakening, joy, delight, gladness, rapture, is often, it's often called the happiness factor. But note this, this is important. It's not a feeling as in pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. This is a spiritual joy and it's a mental formation. It's a state of mind. It's a mental response with a number of different components. One aspect of this factor of awakening, this factor of joy that can closely follow and is related to effort and related to energy is an enthusiasm, a zest, this mental state of joyful interest and delight. And this can highlight the effort put forth in our practice when that effort issues forth from this, this state, this state of, of enthusiasm and zest, joyful interest and delight. So before we formally begin our, our sitting period, I'd like to offer uh, some words from Krishnamurti's meditation journal. And these are his words. It's curious how all important meditation becomes. There's no end to it, nor is there a beginning to it. It's like a raindrop. In that drop are all the streams, the great rivers, the seas, and the waterfalls. That drop nourishes the earth, humans, and all creatures. Without it, the earth would be a desert. Without meditation, the heart becomes a desert, a wasteland. It's curious how all important meditation becomes. So sitting comfortably, Eyes gently closed. And taking a sweep, mindful sweep through the body. From head to toe, toe to head. Allowing the body to relax, <clears throat> soften. Open.
attention residing in the body. In bringing a mindful presence to the posture, very simple, no comp, no, uh, no, no discussion about it. Just noticing posture, sitting, simple, direct experience, noticing touch points. And again, allowing the body, heart, and mind to relax. A mindful presence, connected, bright, interested. A gentle but clear energy being felt, being noticed, being known. And when the breath noticeably appears in your field of mindful presence, turning the light of mindful awareness directly into the sensorial experience of the in-breath and the out-breath. Wherever it's most directly and clearly felt, sensorially in your body. This beautiful breath, this breath of life, breathing. receiving the sensations, however they are, of the in-breath and the out-breath, interested, energy,
when the attention wanders off or spaces out or reaches for some specific experience or gets caught up in a thought, an image. Just simply and gently notice without judgment or criticism. And then begin again. Breath. bodily sensations. Awareness of pleasant or unpleasant or maybe neutral. Mindful presence of states of mind. Interest, energy, bright, connected. And noticing any taste of delight or interest, joyful interest. Kind of degree of enthusiasm and zest that you feel bodily, mentally, in relationship to being simply present with your experience, body, heart, mind. this great gift of our practice. This great, amazing gift of presence, immediate presence, within our own direct experience. This great gift of our meditation practice that wends its way into the whole of our life, little by little.
opening the heart-mind, receiving this gift. With joyful interest, an energy of an effort, an energy put forth with joyful interest, a kind of zestful presence, gentle yet zestful within our own body, heart, mind experience. Without meditation, the heart-mind becomes a desert, a wasteland. Here we are, right now, right here, within the rich depth of our practice. Simple, clear, immediate, mindful presence. not trying to get to some particular experience, not avoiding or pushing away any particular experience in the heart, mind, body that shows up. Open-minded, open-hearted presence. joyful interest with each and every experience that comes through that manifests for however long in whatever way and changes, fades, disappears. Mindful attention home to the breath again. Home to this beautiful breath of life, however it's showing up.
remembering to just simply begin again with an open heart, open mind. When you get lost in thought, when the attention spaces out, when thinking takes over. With intention, gently begin again. No criticism, no judgment. One breath, half a breath, an in-breath, an out-breath. Interest energy. Clear effort. Joyful interest. This gift of our practice.
allowing the energy of joy to enter into your heart-mind. Letting go, relinquishing the resistance Letting it in.
enthusiasm, zest, joyful interest in relationship to our practice, is deeply nourishing and in turn deeply nourishing in the whole of our life.
for the last few moments of our practice today. Gently bringing the attention back to the breath. Connecting with the sensations of an in-breath. And connecting with the sensations of an out-breath. However, they're breathing themselves. And bringing this interest energy, mindful, investigating, with a gentle zest and enthusiasm, a joyful interest. In-breath, May all of the wholesome energies and the fruits that manifest through our practice serve with immeasurable impartiality, without bias, without prejudice, towards the welfare, the happiness, and the awakening of all beings everywhere. which of course includes ourselves.
And so time now for moving your body, walking meditation or stretching meditation. Even if you're going to stay sitting in your seat. 10 minutes of mindful presence moving the body. And continuing with the open-hearted, open-mindedness of an enthusiastic, zestful, joyful energy. Joyful presence embodied. And we'll rejoin our Sangha together in 10 minutes.
So settling into your seat. Opening the ear doors. Hearing. So I'll offer some Dhamma reflection regarding this fourth enlightenment factor, joy. I'm repeating just a little bit of the introduction I offered today. As we begin to sense, see, and know how it is, how it really truly is, more and more clearly and more often through mindfulness and investigation, our interest in seeing and knowing sustains and inspires the effort that's needed for practicing. And it sustains and inspires the energy. Energy begins to open up, increase, and to flow more and more freely. And as this occurs, we begin to feel a kind of delight, a gladness, a joy. And as I mentioned, the PT word, PT word, Pali, PT for joy, 
which is sometimes translated as rapture. This fourth factor of awakening, often called the happiness factor. And as I mentioned, it's not a feeling as in pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. It might be pleasant, but it's not the feeling. Uh, uh, that's not what we're focusing on, the feeling of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Spiritual joy is actually a mental formation. It's a state of mind, which if you haven't uh, known this directly before, maybe today in our practice period, you experienced it as a state of mind, as a mental response. And it has a number of different components. <clears throat> One aspect of this factor of joy that can very closely follow <coughs> and is related to effort and energy is, as I mentioned, an enthusiasm, a zest. This mental state of joyful interest and, and delight which can very much highlight the effort we put forth in our practice when this effort issues from this state of mind. Joy is bright, it's buoyant. There may be the experience of, of a certain kind of physical and mental transformation and balance when this enlightenment factor is present in us. We may, in fact, in these moments feel refreshed, feel unbound, feel healed. I sometimes think of it and experience this as a lightness of being. Experientially, this enlightenment factor can circulate through the body and mind like, like a river, like waves. There might be sensations and mental states of a softness, maybe a great gentleness and smoothness that become known. And maybe sometimes we experience light or tingles or vibration vibratory sensations in the body. There might be experiences of a kind of rippling coolness or just simply a very comfortable coolness around the eyes or in the body. Maybe possibly a feeling of kind of floating. Some people have even described an experience of seeming as though flying. We may find ourselves relating to some of these experiences with a subtle kind of fascination, or maybe even a more overt attachment at times. Maybe you've noticed that in yourself. It's very important to notice our relationship to the experiences of joy, delight, rapture, when they come up in our practice. The subtle attachment of fascination and the more obvious attachment and identification with what feels good 
can actually stop up the natural flow of this awakening process if we don't see it, if we don't see it clearly. As the Buddha tells us, mindfulness is needed in all, all instances. And he goes on to say, as a seasoning of salt in all sauces. At certain points along the way of our practice, some of these joyful and rapturous sensations might become quite strong. And they actually may not feel familiar at all, or even feel especially comfortable. They might feel somewhat uncomfortable, particularly if we're holding some expect expectations based on what we've heard or what we've experienced up to this point and in fact identified as joy, identified as rapture. To whatever degree there is resistance, to whatever degree there's attachment in relationship to our practice experience, there will be a corresponding degree of suffering. Very important point. I think I'll repeat it. <laughs> to whatever degree there is resistance or attachment in relationship to our practice experience, there will be a corresponding degree of suffering. And of course, this translates similarly to the whole of our life. It's the careful and wise attention of mindfulness and investigation that's our greatest protection from anguish and confusion. Our greatest protection from these forms of suffering. It's this careful and wise attention that keeps the movement of our practice going towards the direction of liberation, going towards the direction of awakening. One of the delightful and easeful manifestations of joy in our practice is that we may simply feel fantastically comfortable and have no desire to get up from our cushion or our chair. Instead, there's a zestful, joyful interest supported by mindfulness, investigation, and a very balanced energy to just simply stay put and to just simply keep going. I think some of you had that experience today as we came towards the end of our sitting period because it looked like some of you did not want to stop practicing. I can totally understand. In one of Thich Nhat Hanh's poems, he speaks about his, and these are his words, his joy being like spring so warm it makes the flowers bloom. When this factor is in place, we feel energetically lightened. We feel agile. We feel well in the midst of whatever phenomena is presenting itself. When the enlightenment factor of joy is established, we really truly begin to feel a sense of well-being 
in the midst of any given experience. Our meditation practice is refreshed. It's refreshed with a renewed and renewing energy and inspiration. There's a sense of being imbued with the refreshing lightness of being. As it is with each of the seven enlightenment factors, it's essentially important to frequently give a careful and wise attention to particular aspects of the Dhamma and to, to the specifics of our own practice experience in relationship to the teachings. This is what nourishes the arising, development, fulfillment, and the perfection of the enlightenment factor of joy. And there's a close relationship between confidence and joy. With the momentary or more sustained insight into and the letting go of the abandonment of greed, greed for something, attachment, clinging to something. With a more, with a momentary or more sustained insight into and letting go of the abandonment of identification with each of these experiences that arise and pass in the breadth of our experience. When we have insight into ill will, insight into what causes harm and let go, abandon this momentarily or for, a mo or for a more sustained length of time. When we experience insight into negligence, into lack of attention or the forgetfulness that's inherent in delusion and momentarily or for maybe a more sustained length of time. Let go, abandon this. When we experientially see and have insight into our experiences of greed, our experiences of identification, ill will and delusion and let go, abandon each of these unwholesome states of mind momentarily or for a more sustained length of time. A great depth of confidence ensues. A great depth, depth of confidence in the Buddha as the amazing, amazingly wise awakened teacher. And a great depth of confidence arises in the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha and their incredible effectiveness and a great depth of confidence is born in relationship to the precious importance of the Sangha. In relationship to the Sangha, the community of practitioners as it's manifested and spread throughout the centuries and throughout the whole world. Confidence in relationship to those who have and are now practicing diligently, deeply, truly, right up to the present moment. Our particular spiritual community, 
wherever that might be for you, and to this particular Sangha, this particular spiritual community, right here, right now. When this has occurred for me, I've also felt a renewed inspiration in relationship to the invitation to take up the teachings, a renewed inspiration to learn more, to practice, and to experience it all more and more deeply. When this confidence arises, the mind and heart experience great inspiration, enthusiasm, and appreciation connected with the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And with this appreciation, with this gladness, the bliss of joy, the bliss of rapture is born. Joy arises with a reflection on the benefits and the beauty of sila, of ethical, ethical moral purity. And it's not a puritanical, rigidly based, a puritanical attitude, rigidly based in fear and judgment. It's not that at all. It's about the benefits and the beauty, the real beauty of living ethically in relationship to all beings, living ethically in relationship to all forms of life, including oneself. I had a, a very visceral experience of this during a retreat with the Venerable Saida Upandita in the spring of 2003. Every time I would go into the house where Sayadaw was living and where he did the practice meetings. I would be struck by the purity and the beauty of the energy of Sila that literally pervaded that space. And every time this happened, my heart felt like it filled up. And then it would just gently leap with joy. When the states of mind that corrupt the purity of the heart, the purity of the mind, when the various permutations of greed, aversion, and delusion have been at least in part given up, let go, abandoned, maybe just momentarily, or maybe for a longer period of time, or some of them maybe even permanently abandoned, a deeper and stronger confidence in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha ensues, and a very sweet joy is born. When we directly experience and know our, our self as partially purified of unwholesome states of mind and heart, when we directly know our, our self as liberated from them, when this is sensed, seen, and known 
gladness is born in us. When gladness is in us, there's a joy and a happiness, a spiritual happiness is born in us. The Buddha tells us that reflecting on the benefits of generosity in all of its facets, meaning within the giving and within the receiving, that this nurtures joy, delight, and happiness. I had a surprising and really wonderful experience of this at a particular board meeting of the Mountain Hermitage uh, a number of years ago. Over a few years time, we spent an enormous amount of our board meeting energy and time trying to figure out strategies for getting funding for our retreat center, which had been somewhat, though certainly not terrifically, successful. And at this particular meeting, someone on the board proposed that a very radical scholarship offer be made available to whoever might need it at our first scheduled retreat offering that was scheduled for that particular year. So after a relatively short discussion, every, every board member said yes. They said yes to making this scholarship offer. For days, and, and I mean days, <laughs> after the meeting, emails were flying back and forth between board members saying what a wonderful board meeting this was. One person said, it was the best meeting I've ever attended, I've ever been to. What we were feeling and what we were recognizing was the great joy there is in giving. At that meeting, we let go of what our primary focus had been for a few years, which was trying to get, and decided to just simply give it away, as someone said. The best board meeting I've ever attended, said one of our board members. A number of years ago, I had an experience uh, at a retreat that I was sitting that was a, a great inspiration for me and for others as well that I'd like to share with you. For the last evening's Dhamma talk of this particular retreat, we had a special guest teacher. He was one of the teachers of the Tibetan Rinpoche who was teaching this retreat. Our guest was Adi Rinpoche, a man in his 70s or early 80s. And this was his very first trip to the United States. And before he arrived, we were given some background information about him in that he was a very fine artist and that he had been in a Chinese prison camp for 20 years. 15 years of which he and two other lamas were practicing in retreat. This 
15 year prison retreat came about because of the kindness of one of the Chinese doctors at the prison who had created the conditions to make this retreat possible for these three men. We were told that Ati Rinpoche was one of the few remaining antique lamas left. And so our honored guest came into the meditation hall with his somewhat stiff and bent body. And he was given help in climbing up to his seat. And then he proceeded to give a very long, clear, and very traditional step-by-step Dhamma talk from the Tibetan perspective. It was not a particularly scintillating talk, and there was not even a thread of humor in it. But in its own way, I have to say, it was interesting enough. There was, though, a particularly scintillating aspect of that evening, and it was Adi Rinpoche himself. Because as he spoke, there was an energy, a lightness, a suppleness, and an incredible delight in his demeanor that came through. At times, it actually seemed as though he was almost bouncing lightly in his seat as he was speaking. Maybe the closest thing to levitation that I've ever seen. And just to check myself and the possibility of my projection onto Adi Rinpoche, after the talk, I asked two friends of mine who were also attending the retreat if they also noticed these same qualities. And they confirmed that they definitely had noticed these same qualities. After the retreat finished, there was a fundraising auction where calligraphy and paintings done by Adi Rinpoche were auctioned off. The woman who had requested him to do a few paintings and some calligraphy for the auction told us that she had stayed with him as he worked. And she said that the whole while, while he was painting, he was visibly filled with a gently bubbling energy, laughing lightly all the time he was working. Joy makes the mind, makes the heart bright, light, pliable and open. And it's very much rooted in our practice along the way of this journey to awakening. We have countless, countless opportunities to know joy directly through our own practice countless opportunities to take delight in relationship to our own practice. The joy of a loving, compassionate heart, the joy of metta, the joy of karuna, the joy of living with a growing and deepening ethical relationship to others, a joy, the joy of living with an ethical relationship in relationship to life in general, and 
in relationship to our own body, heart, and mind. The joy of living harmlessly. The joy of non-guilt, non-worry. The joy of non-deceit. The joy of a collected, focused mind. The joy of calm and tranquility. The joy of non-distraction, non-dispersion. Delight and joy in non-proliferation of thought. And of course, the joy of seeing things clearly, truly, just as they are, which in turn brings the great joy of understanding the great joy of wisdom, the joy of non-delusion, non-confusion, the joy of peace. The small smile on the face of most Buddha rupas, on the face of most Buddha statues, can be a pointer, it can be a reminder and an inspiration for us of the underlying ground of joy, the inherent joy in the midst of and along with the compassion and wisdom of the awakened mind, the liberated heart. As a factor of enlightenment, we learn to see and know when joy is present in us. And we learn to see and know when it's absent. We come to see and know how it arises and how its development comes about. In the overall light of practice, the seven factors of enlightenment are developed and established as the antithesis of all forms of ill will, overarching sensual lust, along with all forms of greed, sloth and torpor, restlessness, regret and shame and doubt, and especially self-doubt and doubt in the teachings and the practice. Each and all of these states of mind and body being the primary obstacles for each of us towards progress in developing a connected and clear focus of attention and a deep understanding, developing deep insight. When we buy, when we blindly take up and identify with these so-called hindrances, what happens? Well, what happens is they become hindrances. And then they weaken or can actually erase understanding and block or close the heart, block or close the mind. We can lose the Dhamma. We can actually lose it. The Buddha compared the hindrances 
to corruptions of gold, to the trees in the forest that are filled with parasites, to impurities in water which obscure the reflection of one's face. It's as though they make us blind. And we have very expressive phrases in English that can point us to this, such as poisoned by anger, blinded by desire, lost in grief. On the other hand, the seven factors of awakening, each in their own way, and as they work together in more and more harmony, are our greatest assets. We're learning to play the music that leads us along towards understanding, that leads us along towards liberation. The music of our practice that leads us along towards awakening. The factors of awakening, the factors of enlightenment, are makers of vision, makers of wisdom, and wonderfully great aids along the path of awakening. As nutriment for the arising, the development, fulfillment, and perfection of joy, the Buddha encourages us to reflect on peace, to spend time cultivating relationships with gentle and refined people, and to avoid spending a lot of time with rude, rough people. We're told to listen to and to review inspiring and encouraging Dhamma discourses and to make a resolve, to make a resolve to incline the mind, incline the heart towards the establishment of the enlightenment factor of joy. As I've mentioned previously, the seven factors of awakening are grouped into two types. The first grouping are the activating factors, while the second grouping are what we could call the restraining or cooling or calming factors. So we've now connected with and explored all of the activating factors investigation, discrimination of states, energy effort, and today, joy. They're called activating because when the mind is dull and when it's sluggish, these are the factors that are to be cultivated. As to use one of the Buddha's many, many metaphors, as when one feeds a small fire with dry sticks, dry sticks and grass to make it blaze up. The cooling factors are tranquility, concentration, and 
equanimity. And next week, we'll explore the first of these, tranquility. <clears throat> the mindfulness factor doesn't belong in either category, as it's necessary and totally useful everywhere, everywhere all the time. And in, re and in direct relationship to the activating and the restraining qualities of the other factors of awakening, mindfulness is what particularly ensures that they're kept in balance. So I'd like to close our Dhamma reflection today with some words from the Buddha, from the Dhammapada, specifically regarding joy, happiness, this section from the Dhammapada. Live happily, free from hostility, even among those who hate. Live joyfully, free from misery and affliction, even among those who are afflicted. Live happily, free from the trouble of busyness, even among those who are busy. Live joyfully, like those who have nothing feeding. Live joyfully, like those who have nothing feeding on rapture, like the shining ones. Winning gives birth to hostility. Losing, one lies down in pain. The calmed lie down in peace, having set winning and losing aside. There's no fire like lust, no evil like hatred, no pain like disharmony, no happiness like the happiness of peace. Greed, the primary sickness. Delusion, the primary pain. Knowing this truth just as it is, freedom the primary joy. Health, great good fortune. Contentment, great wealth. Trust, great kinship. Freedom, the greatest happiness. Look within. Taste the nourishment of seclusion, of stillness and calm, freed from fear, and attachment, refreshed with the sweet joy of the way. How joyful to see the awakened, always happiness in the company of the wise. Endless grief for those who commune with a fool as traveling in company with an enemy. Joyful is communion with the awakened as with a gathering of kin. Follow the awakened, the shining ones, the discerning, the learned, dutiful, loving, and wise. They know how to work and forbear. 
follow them as the moon follows the path of the stars. And let's sit quietly just for a couple of moments. And thank you for listening to the Dhamma. And thank you for your practice. And so we'll take five minutes maybe a pee break, a sip of water break, a sip of tea break, moving your body a little bit. And we'll come back together in about five minutes and have some Dhamma discussion.
Oh, hello again, everybody. We're back together. And we have a nice stretch of time now for some Dhamma discussion. Some questions, if you have questions about your practice. Anything you'd like to share about your practice? This past week, your practice during the week, your practice today, and our exploration of joy, maybe some sharing in relationship to that or questions in relationship to that. I will respond as is appropriate, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully it'll be helpful, and sometimes I might not respond, but uh, we'll see. Uh, Chris will, um, where are you, Chris? There, I don't see you. There she is. I'm there. Uh, Chris, yes, Chris will keep track of uh, the order of people wanting to speak. We started that a couple weeks ago and it seemed to work well. Uh, I was told after last week that some people don't know where that little Zoom hand is for them to click on. Where is it, Chris? I don't know where it is. It's most for most people. It's under participants down at the bottom of your screen. But okay. I will also keep an eye out for physical hands raised. For the physical hands. Integrate that. Okay. So can't find I see. I see. So we we have some people already. Actually, on my screen, it looks like it's. Well, no, it isn't. I mean, uh, um, reactions. I'm sorry. I, it's, it used to be under participants. It's mostly under reactions. Reactions. Okay. Reactions. Yes, yeah. I see it. It says raise hand, and it's got a little picture of a hand. Yeah. So you can click that on, and Chris will also watch for the physical hand of any of you. Um, so it's an open, I always want to say circle, but it's not a circle. It's a, I don't know what to call it. It's an open display of faces on a screen. <laughs> Our open sangha here for, for you to speak. So, so we have Christine. Okay. Christine. Yes. Hi, everybody. Um, you know, I just wanted to share an experience I had with Troy that proved to be really transformative and um it was like all my life I had a, a, a pretty screwed up attitude or neurotic attitude towards money. And there was always so much fear around it, you know, the fear of, of running out and, and having to watch it or even hoard it, you know. And so um, I was I never had any kind of comfort level and aired on, you know, holding on to it. And um, I went, I was on retreat in Burma. And, uh, you know, after two weeks, there was a little break in the retreat. And the Sayato took us to his home village, where he was building a hospital. And that hospital was, um, he didn't have the money to uh, finish it. When I talked to him about it, he said, well, you know, he started it. And um, he, he, he was confident that the money would come as it was needed. And I thought, wow, that is so amazing an attitude to have, right? And something moved me to give him 
what was a huge amount of money from my perspective, you know, and I, and there was this voice that said, no, 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 not so fast. Just think about it. You know, you may be really sorry if you do this. And there was this other voice that said, no, just do it, do it because otherwise you're going to talk yourself out of it. You know? So I, I ended up listening to that voice and I gave that money to the Sayado. And, you know, nobody knew about it other than the American nun who facilitated the translation, you know. And uh, and after I gave that, my, and, and you, I was pretty apprehensive, really, because I had so much fear around money to give it. But once I'd given it, it was just this joy, this joy just filled me up. And it was there just for days and days and and then I, I had an interview with, with, with the nun, who was also the teacher, a teacher, and I told her about this joy, and she said, yes, and isn't it amazing how good it feels uh, when, when one gives? And, and I said, yeah, but, you know, to me, I had so much fear around money. And she said, yeah, so did I. But then I discovered that money is really energy. And when you treat money as energy, energy always has to move, you know. And so when you treat money as such, it is really freeing. And that was completely out of that joy came that lesson on, on comparing money to energy and I tell you, I mean, my attitude towards money has forever changed. It's um, that was such a huge lesson, and it all kind of grew out of that choice. So um, it was it was really transformative. Thank you, thank you for that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So Ravi. Ravi. Hello. Hi there. Um, I, I wanted to um, share some an experience I had in today's practice. And it is something that has been swimming around, um, something I've noticed before, but I really noticed it more in today's session. And that was when my mind, my story would take over from my breath as the object of meditation, I noticed when I could catch it and begin again, I noticed there was some tension in my body. Maybe my shoulders rising up a little bit, maybe just a little tightening somewhere in the spine. But, um, but from your instruction today, somehow I really noticed um, that particular piece, that, that physical experience of there being tension correlating to my giving meaning to the mind's output. And as I looked at, at that centrally, as, as I could notice each one, it would um, dissipate on its own. Mm -hmm. 
um, as I would notice it. And about just about the time when you said, Marcia, to open the heart mind, to let joy in, um, I noticed that I hadn't had that feel physical experience of tension arising in the body for for long enough that I was experiencing something um, uh, like what you were describing some of the conditions, the feeling of floating, the feeling of just just such a, a fantastically comfortable feeling. Um, And then after you said, let joy in, I remember the words you said about bright, clear, bright, and it felt like that there was a, um, almost like a fire in my belly that was clear and bright and burning that way. And again, and that those two experiences together um, as actual physical experiences um, were what I really noticed. And, you know, um, having had the, you know, the great um, gift of being able to study with, with you, Marcia, um, I, I was also reminded, okay, just observe these for what they are, not um, yes, pleasant, but not to, to hold on to them. And so it felt like those two factors worked together um, to highlight my experience today. And um, it, it felt like I saw this concept of joy in a different light, not as something that arises and falls, but something perhaps that is more like a state of mind, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. It's hard for a lot of people uh, to let joy in. Many people have a habit of resisting that or thinking it's a long conditioned habitual uh, attitude about oneself state of mind that uh, we're not we're not worth it we don't we're not it's not for us other people may be sure but not me you know I I I don't feel joy I mean I'm should I well I probably not I'm probably not really worth it you know uh all kinds of attitudes that we have taken on and taken in and identified with. That's why I said, let it in. Notice the resistance and let it in. And uh, your description today, not you didn't speak about your historical, habitual, whatever, but uh, <laughs> uh, you let it in. You, you let it in, and uh, it's amazing how many people, considering yourselves in relationship to this, to whatever degree, we don't let it in. I see a, a few heads, 
it's shaking. I know that. I know that. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks, Ravi, very much. Yeah. You still have time. Dami has her hand raised. Dami. Anybody who, you know, right. doesn't speak, just raise your hand. Mm-hmm. I'll get to you. Okay. Um, thank you. I wanted to really thank all of you as a Sangha here, but especially Marcia for this ongoing weekly retreat. I really look forward to it these days. Um, and I realize how much I have missed um, sitting and exchanging with a Sangha uh, on a regular basis. So this has been really wonderful. And when you spoke about the effort um, last week, I noticed during the week, I said, well, I have been experimenting for the last year or so with finding the right amount for me, the right amount of time that I sit morning and evening um, and not trying to adhere to a prescribed amount of time um, and what feels comfortable for me. And I upped the time, I increased the time. I said, well, let me go to, and I won't say how many minutes or, or, you know, how long, um, because that I feel is individual. And it felt so easy and so comfortable to do it that way. And it was really reassuring that, you know, the practice is deepening and and this is perfectly right to do. Mm -hmm. So that said, thank you for all that. Um, Today, when I was sitting, I wanna share, and I have a question about this. Um, I found myself, I suppose when the bell rang, when you rang the bell at the end of the sit, I just almost jumped out of my body with such a jolt. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I realized that I had been in this state of just utter what you describe. And I've, I've had them before, but they were different. And that's why I have a question about it. Uh, just sort of being and not, you know, aware sensations, but not particular thoughts or anything, but just in this sort of pool of being. And I guess I was deep enough in it um, that I just got jolted out of it by, by the sound. And the question I have is, was I lost in it because I was jolted? Because I've at other times when I've been in this, would you describe a place where you can just sit? It feels like you can just sit forever. You don't need to move. Everything is just flowing, wonderful. Um, but I would also notice things around me. So, so that, that leads me to the question, was I just sort of lost in some space somewhere and needed to come back more to the body? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can sort of answer that question. I okay. mean, um, my question back to you in response to your question is, was there mindfulness in that, that, that experience of being? Were you mindful? And you may not know if you were mindful. If you don't know that there was mindfulness there, then you probably weren't particularly mindful. You probably were a bit spaced out in it. Yeah, I think you're right. Because 
I, when I compare to other times, mm-hmm. I was mindful. And then that shocking. Okay. So, so the other question I have is you mentioned other times in uh, sitting in this, to use your term, space of being. You said when there was mindfulness, you were noticing things around you. What about noticing things in your own field of heart, body, mind experience? Not around you, but within you. Yes, definitely notice within me Uh sensations. And I did have it to some extent, maybe not as strong, but I did have that today. There was a very, very light vibration Mm -hmm. and a warmth. So I was aware of things like that. Good. Uh, those kind Good. of sensations. So, so you weren't fully lost in it. You were no, no. mindfully present. Okay. No. You didn't mention that before. Yeah. So because sometimes our practice can render us in a very deep space of presence, and we really don't have a connection to or mindful presence or mindful awareness of things around us, outside of us. Right. I mean, it's different, but I could liken it to sometimes when, uh, if you're reading a book that's very engrossing, Mm -hmm. you're totally involved in reading that book. You might not notice anything, the sounds, for instance, around you. You might not be aware of even people walking around. You're just focused entirely, uh, deeply into the, uh, the book that you're reading. Well, it's sort of similar to that. I mean, I'm just using, that's a real ordinary example or everyday example or yeah, yeah. daily life. But yes, but you can be mindful as just the thing to notice when you're deeply engrossed in in the way that you're speaking of within your practice, if there's no mindfulness, if you're just uh, spacing out in it, and there's no mindfulness of any phenomena, body-mind phenomena, then you are spaced out in it. Okay. And, and if you recognize that, then you're mindful again. Yes. And there you are again. Yeah. It's, it's subtle and tricky. Yeah, it seems like there are levels, obviously, of mindfulness and, um, and also levels of sensation. So, you know, sometimes the sensations are so subtle. That's right. So light that it, it could seem like you're spaced out in it, but. It might not be, though. But you might not. Things get subtler and subtler and subtler with a deeper and deeper practice. Yeah. Okay. And 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 the mindfulness gets the mindfulness muscle gets stronger and stronger with the capacity to notice the subtle. Mm -hmm. It all works in conjunction with all of it. All of it works together. Okay. So thank you for that. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. I is Sila. I see a hand. Sila's next. Yeah. Uh huh. You're muted, Sila. Yeah. Thank you. Just two things briefly. One of them 
With reference to Marcia's response to Ravi, which I very much liked, I'm reminded as we all come from a very puritanical background of H.L. Mencken's description of a Puritan as someone who lives in mortal dread that someone somewhere may be having fun. Oh, how terrible. <laughs> and the other thing is thinking of, I'm also reminded of, I very much liked Gene Smith's description at one point of pity as exuberance. Mm -hmm. So, Istvo. Yes, thank you. Energetically, PT can manifest as exuberance. That's true. Very much true. It isn't always, doesn't always manifest that way, but it can manifest that way as a very exuberant uh, experience. Yes, so thank you. Yes, I didn't use that word. I like that word for that. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. <laughs> and thank you for reminding us, Sila. Yes. So we still have some time. Any more little Zoom hands or hand hands? Ah, uh, Michael. There we go, Michael. Do you know how to unmute yourself? There you go, good. Okay, is it good? Yeah. Yes. Well, thank, thank you, Marcia. I was just gonna comment on, a, <clears throat> after sitting for a few minutes during the meditation, that I had this memory of a being, a, I was a small child and there was this image of the Buddha, it was a sculpture that my grandfather had brought from, uh, he had been in the Spanish American war and he had gotten somewhere in Asia and he, and we had it as a memento and it was of the laughing Buddha. Uh -huh. And from my, from my Catholic background, I knew there was something important about the Buddha a holy person or a saint or something. But there he was with his belly sticking out and the belly button and head rolled back and he was laughing. And it was, and I remember putting my finger in the belly button just to, <laughs> to <sense laughs> oh, That's great. And it was just, I, I think it goes with Seal's comment. I mean, we're, I was raised in a very Puritan way. And I was having fun with this holy image. And at the church, you don't see much uh, smiling on statues and whatnot, and uh -huh. much laughter, uh -huh. particularly during those years. So, well, thank you for that. that. Continue sticking your finger in the Buddha's belly button. <laughs> I, I still have a little conflicted, but I, I enjoy it a lot. Uh-huh. Well, let it in, Michael, let it in. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, too. I think Jean's next. Jean I... has her hand raised, yeah. Uh -huh. Jean, you're muted, Jean. <clears throat> I couldn't seem to electronically raise my hand. Um, I have not consciously spent time looking at the seven factors. And the word joy is not one that I ever really thought about until today. Um, as Sila said, I once experienced what I was feeling as exuberance. 
last week I was talking with a friend and I was experiencing what you were talking about today. And when I tried to describe it, what came out was, I'm goofy for the Dharma. (laughs) (laughs) I've fallen in love with it and I do fairly regularly. Yes, ever since I, I've known you, which is I get so happy. Uh-huh. So. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. That's a great term. Goofy for the Dharma. Thank you, Jean. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 Richard, I'm looking at hands too, Chris, so there's not a whole lot of them, so they one shows up. Yes, Richard. Yes, um, <clears throat> I also wanted to comment on the word joy. I mean, yes, it doesn't seem to really embrace the whole thing. Exuberance is closer, but it almost seems like there's a, a freedom and experience that really can't be translated into words. I came from a background where a Roman Catholic where joy was not really tolerated well, I guess, even. So, mm, that's a nice way to say it. <laughs> Uh-huh. And um, so as I progressed through my own personal practice, I found a way to allow it to rise up and I find myself in a state of joy and it's, but and I guess I don't have a better word for it, but um, it just doesn't seem to really embrace it fully. Yeah, well, that's why I gave so many different words trying to describe it. Uh, you know, uh, gladness, delight, uh, rapture is an often uh, translated one that's translated. Exuberance is great. Uh, enthusiasm, zest. I mean, we, you, you all could, we could go around and everybody add another word, you know, or some of you add another word to the de- description or definition. It is uh, broad and and, and multi-varied, very varied of a, an experience. So, yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yang Kuei, you're next. Hi, everybody. Um, so I, I have a comment and question. I think the question is, I, I'm getting the sense that um, joy in the awakening factor is piti. It's, you know, it's not mudita. And yet, when you talk about it being a mental state, I think of it more as joy, the sense of spiritual joy that is necessarily like hot, like a, you know, heated joy, but much cooler because it's more like a a sense of settledness, a sense of letting go perhaps of some, for example, this past week about efforting certain, a certain discernment and awareness of efforting that's unnecessary towards towards an unwholesome goal. Like I didn't, you know, this habitual thing of, it's like, I can let go of that. And it's a little, it's a cooling effect. It's more like, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. like yeah. I can almost interpret a sadness, but it's a letting go of certain loss, but it's actually, it also feels very released and settled. Mm-hmm. Um, and could even be joyful. I mean, could all, it's pleasant also. And it's, yeah. Anyway, so my question is, it is, so it's not, it is PT, huh? So it's, well, and when I think of p- pity, it feels more transient too. It doesn't feel like the, when I think of joy, it feels much like a 
like a state I can I can abide in for a while before yeah. other conditions come in. And pity just feels a lot more transient. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Some good points there, Yenkwei. The reason I picked the expression a lightness of being is more what you're talking about. Lightness of being. That that uh, that experience, that state of of what we could call joy, a lightness of being. And it, it is a, a state of mind. It's also a state of body. I mean, our, our states of mind are reflected in the body always to some degree. So uh, that feels like what you're talking about. And PT, the Pali word PT, which is translated often as rapture, but there's so many different uh, ways that it's described in the teachings. Uh, and we will talk about PT a little bit more from the perspective of concentration, but not for a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, it, is, it is at first, the, the manifestations of PT are often physical, almost always physical at first. And there's very specific physiological phenomena that happens that is uh, PT that how, and I described some of it uh, a little bit in this talk, but uh, I didn't want to go into it a whole lot because I wanted us to move uh, into more the state of mind, the state of being of mind, of, of joy, of, of delight, of, of gladness, um, of, uh, generosity. I talked about that, that also creates that, that sense of, uh, of lightness of being. Uh, and it was described, Christine described it very lovely, very lovely through her experience in Burma, in Myanmar. So, I appreciate you bringing up those details. It's important. Uh, and I do think what you're describing in terms of letting go of certain, certain habitual tendencies and you know, ways of, of thinking and being and the letting go of that, sometimes there's, it's not always easy to do. And sometimes, in relinquishing certain things, there is a, at least at first, a little bit of sadness sometimes, because mm. we're so used to it. You know, we have so much identification around it, mm. and so habituated to it. But then we let it go, and there is a lightness. There's a lightness that comes when we've mm. let it go. Which you didn't use that language, but you described it in another way. Mm. And there is in that. That fits into my term, the lightness of being, of, mm. of, of a lightness of heart and mind, which is joyful. Mm. It's, it's not jumping up and down, a hot joy, as you called it. It's mm. not like that kind of joy, but it's, 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 a, it's a presence of, of a lightness in, in our being and in being. Mm -hmm. And it's... Uh, mm. It can be delightful if it's a little bit stronger, there's some delight in it. If it's a little bit lighter or softer, uh, uh, it, it's a lightness of being. I, I think that fits to, with what you're saying. I, I think in my mind it does anyways. Mm -hmm. So thank you for the 
the detail of that. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Marcia. Mm -hmm. yeah. The sadness fits too. It was, it was there too. I was like, when let's not make too much meaning out of this, but it did feel kind of like a loss. Uh, yeah, there's a loss. Know, like, yeah. We're habituated to whether it's wholesome or unwholesome. When we mm -hmm. let it go, when it goes, there can be a sense of loss. Mm -hmm. It's who we thought we were, mm -hmm. who I think I am. Mm -hmm. And then it goes and, oh my gosh, and there can be a sense of loss, which can have some taste of sadness in it. And then it's okay. And yeah. then it's more than okay. It's, it's just fine. And there's a lifting and a lightness that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So with that, we have to stop. We've had today, thank you for a very, very good discussion today. Appreciate it from everybody. I think my sense is we all learn so much from each other. It's incredible. These discussions are really, I feel, as much a part of our mini retreats as any other part of it. Because we learn from each other when you open, share so openly it's, it's uh, helpful for everybody, of course, for yourself. Yes, but for everybody. So thank you very, very much. And uh, I hope you have a good week of practice. Let the joy in, let it in. <laughs> and notice if there's resistance. Recognize the resistance. Take a few deep breaths, relax. Let it move through, the resistance move through the old conditioned habitual behavior and attitudes. They won't move through if you don't recognize them. So let them go as best you can for a moment or for a longer period of time and let in the joy. Next week, as I've mentioned, we're, we'll uh, explore tranquility. So take good care of yourselves. Thank you for being here and look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, Marcia. You're welcome. Thank you, Marcia. You're welcome, welcome. Thanks, thank Marcia. You. Yes, most thank welcome. You. Yes, thank you, Marcia. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you, Marcia. All of us. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank you, Marcia. Yes. Bye-bye. We'll just wait a minute, Chris, before we speak. Andrea is still... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.